Mercy is a really good thing. Amen? Grace is a really good thing. Oh, back 20 years ago or so, the newsboys, yeah, they've been around for a really long time playing great Christian music. And I remember it was probably 1994 that the newsboys had a song and it said this, when we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. You see, that's the, di- the, the difference in the definition in grace and mercy. You see, grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve it, and God just gives it. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We deserve the punishment. We deserve the chastisement, but God had mercy upon us, and he didn't give us that which we deserved, and so that's mercy. Now, when I was a kid, I loved it when my grandma would come to town. We didn't always live near our grandparents. And when the Gibsons, when my mom's parents would come to town, it was always an exciting thing because they always had like a bag of presents for us. (laughs) It didn't matter what time of year it was. It could be in the middle of summer. We knew Grandma and Grandpa Gibson were going to have a bag of presents for us. And so it was a great time. It wasn't our birthday. It wasn't Christmas. She just brought us gifts. Why? Because she loved us. She loved us. And that's what grace is. Just because, just because he loves us, he wants to pour, shower his grace upon us. Now, John tells us a lot about Jesus in his gospel. Each one of the gospel writers tells us, kind of gives us a different perspective. It's a kind of a different eyewitness account of the life of Christ and what he was about and who he was. And, and John gives us a particular uh, account of Jesus and his life. And in the first chapter of John, this is what John tells us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, and you'll, I'll have it up on the screen for you, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I want you to kind of focus on that little phrase there at the end of that verse. Here was this scripture is basically telling us this, that God himself put on a body and came into the world and declared himself to the people of the world. And John says, we beheld him, the glory of God, And he was full of grace and full of truth. Wow. An incredible, incredible verse. Now today in our study, we will look and see how the grace of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the grace of God that he came to declare upon us, how it teaches us also as his people to be full of grace. Amen? The mercy of God teaches us to be full of mercy. 
So let's look at this passage tonight as we continue in our study, the Citizen series in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at these things that Jesus teaches to us tonight in light of the grace and the mercy of God. And I've got a couple points for you tonight, just trying to keep it real simple, week to week, amen? The first point of, of tonight is this, do not condemn, do not condemn. Let's pick it up, Matthew chapter 7, it says this, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not condemn. This is the message. Jesus here, he continues in what has been called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here teaches us to not judge others. Now, here we come tonight to the most famous scripture in all of the Bible. You say, well, wait a second. This one? Years ago, there was a man who used to show up at sporting events. He would show up at football games. He would show up on the 18th green at the U.S. Open on the final day. And you would see him. He had like a rainbow wig and all this. And he had a little sign. He had a little banner. And on the banner, it said John 3.16. And that man was trying his best to get the message out. He wanted to make famous, I think, one of the great scriptures that there is, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this man, he's actually, Steve Taylor actually wrote a song about him called Banner Man. You want to look that up on iTunes. But anyways, he did his best to make that particular verse, John 3, 16, famous. Now, it was in recent years that Tim Tebow, when he played for the University of Florida, the Gators, and you'll remember um, and he used to do this all the time, but I want to draw your attention to one particular occasion when the Florida Gators were in the national championship, and uh, Tim showed up that night with his, you know, the eye black, and in the eye black of his face, it said John three sixteen. And I remember that night watching the game because they would just show tight shots. I mean, he's the quarterback, and he was the best quarterback in the country at that time. And so all night long, you saw Tim Tebow's face, and there was John three sixteen. And they actually went and, and, and dug up the records, the Google records. And that night, Google recorded that John three sixteen broke some serious records and became the highest Googled thing on that particular night. And actually, John 3.16 was trending on Twitter that night. John 3.16. Praise the Lord that, that, that people were having to actually go to Google and look up John 3.16. Now, 
With all that being said, tonight we come to the most famous scripture in all the world. You say, really? Yep. Facebook. Facebook has made this verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, the most famous. Everyone knows this scripture. Every single one, and they quote it, 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 and they quote it. And just look at your Facebook feed, and everybody knows this scripture. Do not judge. Do not judge. Actually, they know half of it, <laughs> right? Do not judge. And, and so anyway, so we come to the most famous scripture um, on, on the planet at this point, or at least in the English-speaking world. Uh, now, when you come to this particular verse, it says, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, it's important when you're going to take a look at this, you're going to break this down, you're going to, you're going to teach this, you're going to expound on this particular verse. It's important to, to take a look at the language here and, and, and look at this word judge. What, what is it? What is this word? What does it mean? And you look at this word judge in the original Greek language, which is the, the language of the New Testament. And in the Greek language, it is the word krino. You can look it up in your Greek lexicons or whatever. Uh, and, and it is the word krino. And it means this. It means to, to distinguish, to decide mentally or judiciously. By implication, to try, to condemn, to punish. And then it goes on to avenge, to conclude, to condemn, to damn, to decree. It carries with it the side meaning of to condemn to the, the ever-living soul of a person. And so this verse carries a lot of, of baggage with it. It carries a lot of weight with it. It carries a lot with it, and we need to understand it. We're not to judge our fellow man in, in, in the way that this word is describing because we're, we're not the judge of a man's soul. We're not to condemn a man. We're not to judge someone's ever-living soul. We're not to decree any type of damnation upon a person. We're not the judges of our fellow man. Condemnation is something that God has ultimately reserved for himself, and he has reserved it. He has kind of held on to it. He's held it close to his vest, so to speak. Uh, and, and, and this is what it is. God is the final judge. Now, when you look at where we are now, and the, the, it's been said that we live in the days of grace. We live in the age of grace. We live in a time where the grace of God is, is available to every single person. And the verse that I read in the opening was the verse that talked about God putting on flesh, and he came, and he showed up, and he declared himself, and what he was, and John says, we beheld him, and he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace. Now, if you skip a couple chapters into the Gospel of John, you get to chapter 3, and Jesus is actually declaring, here Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, the Sadducee that he met with at night, and they're going through the whole thing about being born again and all this. And, 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 and Jesus says in John 3.16, but John 3.17, you'll see it on the screen, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. And so here Jesus is saying, look, look, I have not even come for this reason to condemn the world. I have not come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. I've come to give grace to whoever would receive it, that the world might be saved. Now, when you, when you come to this, this particular verse, you say, well, I don't want to condemn anyone's ever-living soul. I just have a few things to point out <laughs> about their behavior. And, and, and it doesn't mean that we don't know people. It doesn't mean that we can't observe people's behavior. It doesn't mean that we're blind to it all. We often know a lot about people. Sometimes we know a little bit too much about people. You know, it's like TMI a lot of times these days. Too much information. And, and, we, and we see the behavior. There's videos that, you know, people get videoed doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And it goes viral. Millions of people see people doing stuff that just not too long ago you'd think no one would ever want themselves being seen doing this type of stuff. But if Jesus, who is God, knows all things about all people, knows every single thought of everybody's heart, knows every single thought of, of our minds, he knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart and mind, and he does not come to condemn, then we should also have the same purpose and love in ourselves towards others. One of the great examples in Scripture is the, you know, you come to John chapter 8, and here you have the famous passage of the woman who was caught in adultery. Now, there's, I can't get into what exegesis on that particular passage tonight. There's a lot there. But the, but the gist of the passage basically says here, they brought a woman caught in the very act of adultery. You, you kind of, you know, you do the study on that, and you're like, how did that go down? You know, how did that happen? In the very act, they caught her. They brought her to Jesus, and Jesus said, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And from the oldest all the way down to the youngest, they dropped their stones, and they walked away, and there she was. Jesus looks up after having written some things on the ground, a lot of speculation as to what he wrote on the ground. We know that God in the Old Testament wrote with his finger on stone. He wrote the law, the Ten Commandments, and here Jesus is uh, writing on the ground, and he looks up, and he, and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Wow. So when you look at the, 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 the person, what, what Jesus has come to do right now, now there's going to be a time. There's going to be a consummation of all things. Jesus is holding that condemnation. He's holding that in reserve. Right now is a time of grace. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And he wants to shower the people of the world. He wants his grace to be received. Now some will shun it. Some won't receive it. But right now our job is to be people who are full of grace and truth just like Jesus was. Not bringing condemnation upon people. Jesus tells us, he goes on, he says, that we will be judged with the same judgment that we judge others. Look at that verse 2. He says, for with what judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now this really should give us pause when we go around fingers pointed and guns blazing. 
right? It, it, judge not lest you be judged. And for with the, with, with the way that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you, that you measure, it will be measured back to you. Each person receives what he or she measures out, either with mercy or with severity. And as I consider my own life, and we're going to get into this in a second here, considering our own selves. If I consider my own life, I know a little bit about my life. I know a little bit about my thoughts. I know a little bit about my 45 years. And you know what? I want some, I want some, I want some mercy to be measured out towards me. I want some grace. I want the abounding grace of the Lord to, to continue to abound to me. And I'm going to be a person. Until, until God says other words, until, until he comes back on white horse with sword in hand and, 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 and all that, I, I'm here to, to proclaim the, the, the love, the grace of God. I'm here to proclaim the truth. I'm, I'm here to proclaim sin. I'm, I'm here to portray and, 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 and talk about that we've fallen short of a, of a, of a holy God. But, but I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not here to condemn and I'm, I'm, I'm here to offer the love of God. Amen. We, we need to be people that have as our model the Lord Jesus. He's full of grace and full of truth. Now, I, I know today's Christian, there are many, we, we, we want to have some grace, but we'd rather, we want to be full of truth. <laughs> we want to be full of truth, and we want to make sure the truth gets out there. And, and so we, 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 we've, we've, we would actually articulate that Probably, you know, we'll flip those terms. You know, instead of full of grace and truth, we full of truth and grace. You know, and, and I think we've got to be, it's got to be both. It's got to be both. It, it wasn't one or the other, and it wasn't, it wasn't you know, it, it's full of grace and truth. And, 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 I, and I appreciate the tenacity that people have today. We've got to be banners of truth. The, Paul, told, Paul talked to, about the church being the pillar and the ground of truth. Yes, we've got to hold up the truth, but we've got to do it in a wise way. We need to be full of grace. Now, we're studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, and uh, I've taught through the book of Revelation uh, before and teaching it again, and now I'm doing a weekly radio broadcast on a station out of Miami where we're actually going through various chapters in the book of Revelation. And one of the things that you will notice if you dive into the book of Revelation, especially if you get into that section where the tribulation has come, the wrath of God is being poured out upon the world repeatedly in almost every chapter, once the tribulation starts, there's a, there's a refrain, there's a verse, there's a, a, a kind of a commentary on the response of the world, and it's this, and they did not repent of their ways. They did not repent of their sins. They did not turn from their wickedness and their sexual sins and their greediness and their idolatries. They did not repent is the refrain. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of as if to know no amount of condemnation that you bring upon a person is really going to bring them to repentance. It wasn't condemnation that brought you to your knee before God. It was not condemnation. It was you realizing that you were lost without God. It was you having been presented with the Word of God and what sin truly is, but it wasn't a condemnation that was brought upon you that brought you 
to your knee. Actually, what it was, was the grace of God, the love of God, the plan of God that said, you know what? As guilty as you are before God, you can be forgiven. All can be wiped out. You can be 100% forgiven and cleaned up and pure and holy before God. And so we've got to remember this. It's the grace of God that we respond to. Now Jesus goes on in verse 3, and he goes into this section, and the point of this section is that we've got to deal with our own life first. We've got to deal with our own selves first. We've got to deal with our own life first. Let's pick it up, verse 3. He says this, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so we've got to, Jesus is, is really kind of giving, teaching us, look, you know, deal with your own sin first. Deal with your own life first. You know, when, you, 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 you've got to deal with, 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 with the things that are going on in your own heart. I know it's been said before that, you know, you'll see, you'll see a preacher hammering away on particular sin, and, and this happened repeatedly where it's like, you know, pe- they're hard on a particular sin because that's a sin that, that, that they're, they're dealing with in their own life. And, and, and we've got to deal with our own sin first. Now, sometimes the, the, the reality is this. Sometimes we excuse sin in our lives that we condemn in others. We excuse sin in our lives that we condemn in others. And the reason we do it is not that, we wouldn't rec- not that we wouldn't say, if asked, point blank, is this a sin? We'd go, yes, it's a sin. But when we look at our lives, it's, it's a slightly different situation. It's a slightly different circumstances. It's, it's not like that. It's not like him over there. I'm just doing this over here. And, and, and we would excuse in, in our own life what we would condemn in others, and, and we've got to be careful with that. You remember when Nathan came to David and he told him about a man in his kingdom. He said, he said, King David, he said, I I want to tell you about a man in your kingdom. Oh, this man is a wealthy man and he has everything. He has everything that his heart desires. And he had servants and maids and everything he could hope for, everything he could desire. He had great flocks and herds. And next door to him, there lived a, a poor man who, who had only one little lamb in his possession, only one little lamb. That's all he had. And this man loved that little lamb. And, and, and he took it wherever he went with him. And it lived in the house with him. It was the only thing he had. 
And this wealthy man had visitors come, and so he ordered his servants to go next door and by force take the one little lamb from his neighbor and slaughter it and barbecue it up for his guests. And the Bible tells us there in this confrontation that David becomes angry. He says, who is this man? Who is this that has done this? This is wrong. He should have never done. He, sh he should be dealt with severely, this man. And Nathan looked right at him and said, you are that man. You are that man. You see, David's sin and his circumstances and the way he look at it, looked at it have blinded him to his own situation. And what he eagerly condemned in, in someone else he was readily excusing in his own life. And so that's why I think Jesus is putting this to us the way he's putting it. Because we have, a, an, un, we have as human beings an uncanny ability, <laughs> a talent. Actually, it's not a talent. To point out what everyone else is doing wrong and where they're failing and what they need to do and all the wrong decisions that they've made. And, it, and it's hard for us to see and look at our own lives and, and to evaluate it in, in truth the way that God... And that's actually the definition of humility, by the way. To actually see... The definition of biblical humility is actually to see how God sees the situation. And when you see your life as God sees your life, it brings you to a, that place of being humble before the Lord. So... We've got, to, uh, we've got to deal with our own sin. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in yours? It's, it's his, he, he paints a picture. It's, he, it's, almost, it's almost humorous. I, I could imagine even when Jesus was teaching this that there may have been even some chuckles in the crowd across that hilltop. Why do you take the splinter out of your brother's eye when you have this beam coming out of your own eye? Be, be careful to, to, to deal with that beam coming out of your eye. Then you'll be, up, then you'll be careful. Then you'll see clearly to take the, the speck or the splinter out of your, out of your brother's eye. And so the, the message is this, that we've got to, to deal with our own self first. Came across this quote in one of the uh, commentaries. William Penn. William Penn. Was he the founder of Pennsylvania? Is that the, yeah, I would, I would imagine so. He said this, they have a right to censure that have a heart to help. They have a right to censure that have a heart to help. If we are people of grace and mercy, we will show grace and mercy to those around us. The question is, we know Jesus, John said Jesus is full of grace and truth. How full of grace and truth are you? We're his people. We're supposed to emulate him. We're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be being made into his image. The question is, how much, how full are you of his grace and his mercy and his truth? Amen? And we've got to, to deal with our own sin. Now, look, look with me over to the book of Hebrews. And, and I want to take you over to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 where the writer of Hebrews is actually talking about the qualifications for the high priest. 
Remember, there was a high priest in Israel. There was a whole priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, and then there was one amongst the Levitical priesthood, one that was the high priest. And he had very specific duties. And the writer of Hebrews here in Hebrews chapter 5 is talking about the qualifications for this person. And he says in verse 1, Hebrews 5, it says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. Let's just stop there. So the point is this, is the high priest was that one that actually you know, he made, he made the atonement. He was the one who would, uh, you know, the, 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 the sacrifice of atonement was made upon the bronze altar. And then the blood of that sacrifice was taken into the holy place. And it was taken, he, was, he took it past the veil into the, what was called the holy of holies. And, and, and there was the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And what he would do is he'd take this blood and he would sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice on the mercy seat seven times, right? And remember how careful he had to be? Because this passage says that he, that he had to be careful to, to keep in mind his own sin. Not just, oh, well, I'm walking in here and, and, and all these bad people in Israel that I got to deal with their sin and I got to stand up here and do this. I got to take my life into my own hand. No, he had to be very solemn. He had to be very careful because he had to, to, to be like that before God because he had to, to be concerned with his own sin before God. So much so that on that day, they, they literally came to a point in Israel where they tied a, a rope around the high priest's uh, ankle. Thank you. Help me preach tonight. Amen. Yeah. They tied a rope around his ankle so that if something were to happen, if he were to be in the wrong way before God in some way, and, and there's precedent... There's precedent. Go back to Leviticus 10. Go back to the sons of, 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 of Aaron, Adab, and Abihu. They brought the strange fire on the altar, and they were literally fried up <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the presence of God. So he had to be very concerned with his, with his own sin and the sins of the people. So this passage says he has compassion. The high priest. Now, who was it that ultimately fulfilled the role of the high priest? This is what the writer of Hebrews, you read the whole book, what, Jesus, what the writer is saying is Jesus, who is our high priest, he, was, he had compassion. And if anyone could have been, well, these people and these people, he could have because he didn't have to be concerned with his own sin. He had no sin. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. So, my goodness, look at the model, look at the role model that we have, a high priest that even though he didn't have to worry about his own sin, showed us how to be compassionate priests unto God, concerned with our own sin and being compassionate towards the other people that need the salvation of God. Amen? Wow. So the important thing back in the text in Matthew 
is if, if you see something in your brother that should not be, first examine yourself. First examine your life, examine yourself, and get it right before God. Amen? Get your own life right before God. And then, and only then, if you have the love and compassion of Christ, then go to your brother. If you're motivated by any other reason, if there's any other reason that, that, that would motivate you, if it's any other thing that stirs up in your heart, it's, well, I've got to go, and we've got to tell him. If there's any other reason but the love of God, the agape of Christ, if there's any other reason, don't go. In fact, I was at a pastor's conference years ago. In fact, I was just at the pastor's conference a week ago, and, and I've been to this pastor's conference this same one for the last, I don't know, 13, 14 years. Every year, every summer, been to this conference. And I remember on this particular occasion, it was 2006, and it was 666, it was June 6th. It was June, it was the sixth month, the sixth day, and the sixth year. It was 666. That was the date. And guess who the pastor was that was speaking? Damien. <laughs> Damien. In fact, he actually got up and cracked a joke about, yeah, they would have me speak on 666. If you remember from, you know, it's an omen reference or one of those, I don't even know. Anyway, so Damien, Damien Kyle, pastor of the Calvary Chapel there in Modesto, California. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. He taught from 1 Corinthians 13, and he talked about the love of Christ. He talk, talked about the perfect agape of God. And he said, if you don't have love in your heart, just keep your mouth shut. If it is not the love, if it is not the love of God that is truly motivating, he says, don't even raise yourself up to speak. And he's talking to a bunch of men who basically have to get up and speak every week, twice a week. I said, okay, if I don't even, if, if the love of God is not the motivation for me to stand in this place right now, he, he says, sit down. Just sit down because ultimately you're a gang, gong, right? You know, Paul says, you know, if you speak with all this, you know, wonderful oratory and, and, and you speak with this incredible ability and all this and you have not love, he says it's a clanging symbol. It's a gong. It's a gong show. Remember the gong show? Yeah. You came out, you did like a little song and dance, and, one, you know, and some of it was really corny, right? And, 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 and then sooner or later they said, you know, what is this guy? You know? And one person, the judges, they had the panel of judges, they'd go and get the gong, right? Gong, <laughs> you know, get off of the stage, you know? And that's really the reality. I mean, get off of the stage if you don't have the love of Christ to be, to be, to be speaking, and, and here's the thing, Christian, whether it's a pulpit or a pulpit out there, it makes no difference. We've got to be speaking because we're full of the, of the love of Christ. Amen? You know, just, just on, a, on a separate, this is just random. Did you guys see the little girl from uh, America's Got Talent? Did you see that video? You've got to look this up when you get home. Her name was, her name 
is Heavenly Joy. This was her name, okay? She gets up in front of Howard Stern and, 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 and Howie Mandel and, 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 and Spice Girls and whoever it was, and she did this song and dance number and sang like you would not believe. She, if she was a day over five years old, I, I, I wouldn't know it. And Howard Stern says to her, you know, when, the, when I was a little boy, if you can imagine that, I used to watch a, a little girl, a little actress who sang and danced like that. Her name was Shirley Temple. And, and, and I think that Shirley Temple is, is living inside of you somewhere. And she looked right at Howard Stern and she said, no, not Shirley Temple, Jesus. <laughs> oh, it was the cutest thing. It was awesome. I mean, she just, and here's Howard Stern going, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't get any better than that. But look at you know, look up Heavenly Joy. What a name to proclaim that Jesus. And then her dad said something. The, the side co-host said to her parents waiting in the side wing, she said, oh, well, maybe it's Jesus and Shirley Temple. He said, no, Jesus Temple. And I was like, yeah, bingo. Jesus, he put it all together. Jesus and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what an incredible thing. So the love of God. The love of God. Well, let me, let me move on, and, and we've just got one little verse, one little kind of dangling participle there, verse 6, in, uh, in, in, in Matthew 7 there. He says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Wow. So now, this is, this is interesting. Um, so the Lord has basically said, don't condemn, be careful to worry about yourself first, and then to be careful to help out your brother. And then he, he gives a little counsel on how to go forth with the word of truth. Amen. He says, and, and here's the point, be discerning when sharing the truth. Be discerning when sharing the truth. We're not to condemn, but we need to be discriminant in, in, in how and where and when we share the pearls of truth. Amen? We are to use discernment. We're to use discernment and we're to use it wisely when sharing the truth, the pearls of God. Now, he, he says here in verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under, the, under feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Now, dogs and pigs, that's language for unholy and unclean. Okay? Unholy, the dogs, unclean, the pigs. And he says, don't, don't cast your, your pearls before the swine. Another picture is of a, of a rich man kind of throwing out handfuls of small pearls to the swine, and it's just kind of like, why would you, why would you do this? It's a, it's a picture, it's another picture of kind of absurdity in that sense. And, and, uh, and there's another imagery too, they would feed the pigs, they would feed the pigs these, um, the, maize, the maize corn, and it was kind of like, you know, have you seen that corn? It's almost white. Right? And, it, and it, it almost, you know, in that sense, you could resemble the the pearls. 
and, 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 the, and here comes the hogs and the, you know, the pigs, and, and they're just trampling it, trampling it underfoot. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, use some discernment, use some, use some wisdom when and how and where and with who and the way that you share the, 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 the pearls of God, the, the, the truth of God. I mean, you, you have to, it, it's, it's not as if every, every moment is an opportunity to just blurt out whatever it is you think that needs to be blurted out. This, we need to be actually careful on Facebook, the way we present. Because the imagery there is, is that, and I've read, the, I've read the threads. Why are Christians so judgmental? Okay, now, well, we're not. We're sharing the truth in love. Okay, well, the perception is, right? And so we've got we've to go above and beyond board to somehow do this. Now, if you're upset with the latest decisions in the Supreme Court, and now we're venting on Facebook, here's the problem. The problem is that battle was lost a long time ago when people were voted into office that put these type of judges on the Supreme Court. And so the battle was lost a long time ago, folks, because, because, because we didn't realize that the connection between the type of politician that puts those types of judges on the, on the, on the bench makes those kinds of decisions. And, 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 it, I, and I'm right there with you because I've wanted to pull my hair out for the last 20 years, 20 whatever years since I've been voting. I want help me help you realize that the most important thing is who we're putting on the courts and you're worried about whether you're going to get this and that and free health care and whatnot, you know? And so the, the, that battle was lost a long time ago. This ship has just come in now. The ship has fully come in. So what is... How do we need to proceed? We need to be people of grace and truth. We need to be full of grace. We need to be speaking when and if only we're motivated by the true agape of God to share the pearls of the truth of God to a lost and dying world. And now hear, hear me. Hear me, Jesus said, he who has an ear to hear, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And nowhere is Jesus saying, don't speak the truth, don't do this, don't do No, what he's saying is, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. And we need to do things. The, the Lord is not going to, the Lord is not going to call us into the kingdom and say, congratulations, Charles. You won 42 arguments on Facebook. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise, right? And that's why we have to be people who are winsome in the right way. Now, if you, if you think, well, he said that and that was about me. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. I'm just, I'm just talking. I'm just talking, and I'm sharing this passage, a scripture that I think has a lot of wisdom for us in, the, in this day. And, you know, as we go forward, 
with where we are as a nation, I think we're going we're gonna to have to be we're going to have to be full of grace and truth going forward. We're going to have to be full of grace and truth. Amen? And um, it's not a pl- bad place to start because that's how John described Christ. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth.